episode 77 is brought to you by our great sponsors, Good Lad Clothing and Parkside Brewery. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hoop's Journey. As we go uh, over on the uh, ferry today, um, grab a white spot burger and some fries, maybe a milkshake or a water, depending on your uh, nutrition levels. This gentleman was recently named one of the top 25 players in BC all time. A self-admitted latecomer to the pod, but that's okay. We forgive and forget here on a Hoop's Journey. We're just happy that he's tuning in. A former Santa Clara Bronco, provincial champ, absolute stud of a, of a hooper and looking forward to getting to know more about his story. We have none other than Mr. Uh, Brendan Graves with us tonight. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks, Aaron. Very excited to be here. Like I said, I, I got turned on to the podcast late, but uh, I've listened to a few of the episodes and it, uh, it's soon becoming my obsession. So good, man. I'm excited to be here. Like to hear it. And uh, you're one of the quicker guys we were able to just connect with, but you're busy kind of, as you admitted, running around you got kids that you're uh coaching you're still running up and down yourself but uh how's life for the graves family graves family and you know how have you been able to keep up in these such weird times and get through it all well yeah like these these are definitely weird times is uh is a good way of putting it i think we've weathered this storm pretty well but uh it's not over yet so i have days where i feel like i'm surfing on top of the waves and i have days where i'm like what is going on on this planet at this moment so yeah i think i think a lot of people are feeling the same way but uh but overall i really can't complain i feel like uh we're very fortunate for the position that we're in in canada we're fortunate for the position we're in in bc and and even on the island we're a little bit more insulated from some of the the more damaging effects of the pandemic so yeah i i feel like most people you you've you've had a uh, a definite difference to your lifestyle but it hasn't been as damaging i think as it could have been for a lot of other people for sure and i and i think you know one of the things i've appreciated you know especially from an athlete perspective when you talk to former athletes they always try to find at least a little bit of good you know and and some positive and realize that as you say like could be worse on the other side or there's always something else that could be going on in our lives so we are very fortunate so yeah definitely some good reflection there and how about you man like what's going on? How's life? I don't know if you know, like a few years younger than you and followed your story and career, spent some time on the island as a kid. My brother and I went to Willows Elementary actually back in the day. Yeah, yeah. So we know the island boys and then my brother's over there now. So we try to get over a little bit and know that we have lots of great, you know, the thing I love about Victoria and the island is the, the basketball community is great there. Um, and you mentioned you're still kind of running up and down. Do you see many of the guys? Um How's the game and how's the body react when you do get a chance to uh, take well, some dunk shots? <laughs> the dunk shots. I actually haven't played like a, a five on five or full court game of basketball since the pandemic. Hit. I, w- okay. I was sort of like occasionally meeting up. I had played in a rec league and, and then I uh, was meeting up with some other old timers. We would just rent a gym and, and get as many bodies as we could and just shuffle up and down the court. But um, that has totally dropped off since the pandemic hit 
I still try and keep in touch with uh, with as many of former basketball players as I can. But like that, that's definitely been one of the the casualties of the pandemic is the, sort of the the ability to socialize. It's coming back a little bit now, so yeah, it, it's sort of reconnecting at this point. But yeah, yeah, in ter- in terms of uh, actual connection to basketball, it's it's more through my my kids and coaching. Um, at this point than it is through anything I do myself. And careful, like old timer is a little harsh. You know, the <laughs> the young people, I think they call us old heads. I think it's an old head now. Well, um, you but- said it yourself. You're a few years, you're a few years younger than me. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not lumping you in with my category, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I, I forget what I saw some, uh, some advertisement for like the master's level, uh, BC games or something like that. And I'm like, Hey, I'm getting pretty close to that. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it could suit up. Yeah, man. You could uh, mark up the passport a bit and even pass for a couple of years, you know, while you still have a couple of good years left in you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do worry, though, like the next time I actually try out and try and go out and play a game, I might just snap in two. For me, it's like the uh, it's the Achilles. Like, I don't know about you. I know a dozen people that have torn their Achilles like posts career like you know oh i just was playing oh, men's league or a few of us were playing four on four and i'm like man i don't know i kind of yeah, like I'm, I'm attached i'm knocking on wood right now like you even mentioned it because like same thing like i know too many people that have suffered that particular injury and it just seems to come out of like a clear blue sky like they're just cruising along and then boom and you're like oh you're gonna be in a boot for months now yeah enjoy that and that really small calf that comes with it <laughs> yeah Well, let's get right into it, man. Thanks for being with us. I think this will be a great episode because, at least for me, someone who's a huge basketball fan and a former player, just going back down memory lane and and a name like yours, always wanted to know more about you and your story and kind of where those big muscles came from and that that eyebrow. I I, I still am a little bit bitter at you, while Navi Seacon's probably a little more angry because years ago you were supposed to come and play at the Dolphin Park tournament with us in Richmond. Right. And I don't know what happened. It's fine. You know, stuff happens. But I was looking forward to it. I was like, wow, I get to play with Brendan Graves. Like, he can do all the dirty work and I'll just stand there and shoot threes. And then you didn't come. And I think Navi was more mad because then I just spent more time in the beer garden and we lost in the quarters and didn't do very well. So, Oh, my my bad. Yeah, I That's I okay. Apologize. Navi was probably happy because he got 15 more shots a game. And we know Navi likes to shoot the ball. So, Yeah, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us about yourself, man. Growing up, what your life was like as a young guy and sort of how you started to just what sports you played and, and how basketball sort of started to become a bit of a connection to you and, and who you were. Well, as uh, I don't I don't know. Yeah, your listeners may or may not know. I'm, I'm quite tall and especially tall coming from uh, from Vancouver Island, with the small population on the island. So I'm, I'm six foot nine and I was always tall growing up. But I didn't really come from like an athletic family background. Like uh, my dad was six, seven and change, but never really was heavy into sports. He was, he was like a computer programmer back before it was cool. So he was like full on <laughs> as, as nerdy as you get. 
And yeah, like wasn't big into sports. I might have played a little bit of softball when we moved to the island. We went to Nanaimo, would have been the 80s, I think, maybe late 70s. And I lived there for a few years when I was in elementary school. And then we eventually moved down to Victoria when I was in grade five. Had not played a lot of sport. Brother might have played a bit of like a little bit of hockey. And so, yeah, we moved to, to Victoria in grade five. My mom was, or still has, visual impairment. Like, she lost her, her vision when she was in her 20s and actually became legally blind. So she didn't have really much of a connection to sport either. However, I soon discovered that um, being this size, or as I said, like being much bigger than most of my peers, was an advantage when it came to basketball. So when I moved to Victoria... I was just trying to meet people, make friends and connect. And so I would just be out at elementary school playing and on the playground, really casual basketball, had no idea what I was what I was doing. But I, I did realize that I could make it hard for people to score because they couldn't shoot over me. So so that started getting me a little bit of, uh, of confidence or, or starting to feel like I had some sort of connection to the sport. And I had some friends that were that I would play with, and they played on a uh, what we have in Victoria is just a, a night league, which is a very casual basketball league that is that takes all comers, really great for introducing kids to the sport. It's got all different levels, like different tiers for depending on your uh, on your skill level. And so uh, a couple of my friends from elementary school asked if I wanted to join their night league team. And I was like, uh, sure, sounds fine to me. And my parents were on board. So uh, I joined up with that team. I was behind skills wise because I hadn't really been playing the game much at all. But I was ahead of the ahead of the curve physically. So I started to have some very early success and, and you know, being this really awkward, like, <laughs> super gangly tall kid that uh, kind of didn't know where he fit at school the ability to play and have success and build confidence uh with basketball really became uh, a positive thing in my life so uh so i kind of latched onto it and started to pursue it and you know the more time i put into it the more success i had the the more self-confidence i grew and so i kept going by the time i got to high school i was i was actually starting to get improve my skills and 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 starting to have some real success at the sport so i went to lambert park high school which is we would have been double A then, which I guess is is triple now. I had a good crew of of teammates that had come up with me from elementary school, and, and uh, we ended up having some success at uh, at junior basketball. And my junior basketball coach, which ended up also being my senior basketball coach, Ed Summers at Lambert Park, he has he has now had a long and storied career, but he was just starting out. He was new new teacher back then and a new coach. I think he's actually got the record for the most provincial titles for the double slash triple A school level now. But um, yeah, he does. He does. Yep. But uh, he coached me in grade nine and grade 10. And, and I was just really fortunate that uh, I had a coach that uh, was as dedicated to the sport as I was at that point. I think when I was in junior, uh, junior level at Lambrick, we had the, the senior team, at that point would have like six guys on the team and like they might have had a couple more on the roster but they'd often have like maybe only five or six guys show up to a game and then Mm -hmm. you know a couple guys would foul out and they're they're finishing the game four on five sort of thing um (laughs) 
And so Ed, you know, he was, he's obviously very taken with basketball and he wanted to build a program. So when, when I moved up from juniors and well, I and my, my teammates that we'd had pretty good squad moved up from juniors to seniors, Ed took over coaching the seniors uh, as we moved up and it was his first couple of years. Well, I guess you, yeah, it would have been his, his very first year coaching seniors that, that we won the title and uh, that probably made that uh, desire in him to, to keep coaching. He must've thought it was going to be easy from then <laughs> yeah. on out. But uh, <laughs> so he was, he was like a, a great supporter of basketball and, uh, and really just started growing the program at Lambrick. Mm-hmm. And yeah, going into grade 11, we had a bunch of great players on our team, great athletes. We had uh, a great volleyball team. We had, we had a couple of multi-sport volleyball and basketball. I, I was playing volleyball as well in grade 11, and we managed to win the the championship for volleyball and basketball that year because we just had like we just had horses. We had, I think, we had at least three players over six four starting coming from a double A school at that time was <laughs> was kind of un, unheard of. And yeah, we just uh, we just had a great group of guys. Ed was was doing his best to get us as much competition as he, as we could. We'd get over to the mainland for games. We'd even he even arranged for us to go down to the states. We'd go to Port Angeles or, or to Seattle. Wait, did you just say an island team left the island to play basketball, and it wasn't the provincials? Yeah, go wow. figure. Wow, eh? wow, it happens. Hey, okay, early yeah. Ed Summers breaking ground. Probably yeah, hasn't yeah. been off the rock since though. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, he might have been a bit of a visionary back then, but I do yeah. uh, I do remember those road trips well, coming over and uh, staying in some pretty cheap hotels and yeah. <laughs> just goofing around to all hours with uh, with my teammates uh, and then trying to go out and play basketball. over there mid-December doing the same thing at the uh, Oak Bay tournament so yeah we always try to go over and do a road trip I mean those are the fun memories that you make right I mean in the end the winning's great you had a lot of success as a basketball player but when you look back on it all it's it's those connections that you make and I want to touch on a little bit about Ed and kind of I joined the BC executive this year and so obviously Ed is highly involved with the executive for BC boys basketball too so got to know him a little bit and competed against his teams and I was flipping through the 75th anniversary uh there's a big, thick 75th anniversary book that you can get. It's got all the single AA, AAA champions from all the years. And so your mug's in there. And then Ed was looking pretty young. So that's what I was going to ask was how early in his career was it? And what was it about him, do you think? Was it his X's and O's? Was it just that he showed that he cared and he was willing to turn the key and open the gym for you guys? Was it kind of a combo of all that? And then I think when you take that and you combine it with, like you've mentioned, a good group of athletes and, and guys that really want to jump into the sport, you know, success is going to happen. And then look at Lambert Park now and where they're at with their academies and, you know, their basketball programs still top notch every single year. And it's pretty phenomenal. I think Ed is maybe a name that we kind of overlook sometimes in terms of what his scope, right? We talk about the Chambers and the Van Osses and the Goulets and the Dockendorfs, but a guy like Ed been doing his thing on the island for 30 plus years coming up on 40, right? 
Yeah, and at the same school the whole time. I would say like the thing for when he first started and he was like, he he was very new. Like I said, the first year I played senior was the first year he was coaching senior. His commitment to the team and the game was, was very evident. I think he was very inexperienced at that point but Fair like he, he was he was just putting he he was trying to learn as quickly as he could you know he would like i said we, we'd have a small school so sometimes we wouldn't have the numbers for practice he would suit up and play with us he'd even drag his brother out to play to make numbers he'd drag his brother out to like match up with me because his brother was actually a bit taller but it was like it just helped to have like an older guy come in as, as a body that would be able to to physically slow me down a bit so Mm -hmm. uh yeah like he he was just obviously very committed and not having known anything else at the time i just kind of took it for granted and now like sort of seeing the other side of it the actual service and commitment that comes with coaching i i do feel like i I really took it for granted then because like right now especially coming out of the the pandemic and how what i hit sort of school sports have taken during that like to see how how hard it is to to find coaches that are willing to to put in the time and make the commitment to these teams what a value that is i think was really overlooked and continues to be overlooked like uh you know coaches can really change a kid's life you know like if 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 i didn't see that same level of commitment from ed back then uh, who who's to say what my trajectory might have been because absolutely he was really building a culture at lambrick as i said i think he was he was learning as he was going but his, his commitment was definitely there and i think that's what uh that's what has led to all the success like since since we graduated uh like i said you know we won we won the first year that he ever coached and then we came second the second year but you know since then he's, he's taken his teams down to to like team camps in the in the states and and i think he was like constantly going to to coaching clinics and things like that to uh to learn more about the game so uh so yeah i i really feel like he he's He's built that culture at Lambrick and uh, yeah, coaches like that that uh, really commit to their programs. They're such a value to their school and they're, they're such a value to the kids that come through their programs. Yeah, for sure. Good reflection. Like you talked about that first year, right? Uh, well, I mean, you're, you're two years in high school. I mean, so you think some kids just all they want to do is make a provincial championship. You have the opportunity to win one in grade 11 and then make the final in grade 12. I see the score that that first, the, the year that you win, 71-70. Was the game as crazy as the score indicated or was it like uh, someone launched a three at a four-point game to make it a one-point game? Oh, so that game was, I, I feel like that probably would have been a pretty fun game to watch because, well, we were very, we were too very different teams so that was the final we came up against agassi and this was we were coming out of a pretty unheralded uh school so we were catching teams by surprise that year no one knew what to expect and agassi was a more established program and we came we we managed to to fight our way into the final against them and uh we came up against Dave Dick. I, I think I'd heard one of your other podcasts. I, I think it might have been Greg DeVries talking about uh, an encounter with him. And and yeah, it turns out that guy could shoot the ball pretty well. <laughs> anyway, in the in the final, he ended up having 13 three-pointers. Uh, you know, looking back, I'm just like, hey, could, could someone get a hand up? <laughs> 
what was going on there. But I do, I do remember like, you know, we're waiting for him to double team him when he comes to the three point line kind of thing. And he just decides to pull up like 10 feet away from the three point line when he crosses half. And we're like, Oh, okay. That's where we got to guard you. So yeah, he, he just absolutely lit us up, but we were, like I said, we had a very tall team, much more dominant inside. So it was kind of like the the different approaches to the game. There, they were dropping a, a bunch of long bombs on us, and and we were pounding it inside. I think I I ended up having I ended up getting fouled and having to make one of two free throws. I think to take the lead late in the game, and I can't remember if I made them both or made made one. But anyway, I managed to to get us the lead, and we hung on and and managed to get that first championship. But yeah, it was uh, it was a back and forth affair, never mm-hmm. safe. Yeah, I think too that that early success builds a little bit of confidence inside. So after that grade 11 year, like had you been involved in the provincials teams up to this point? And how did you know where you stacked amongst the rest of the province? You mentioned that Ed took you off the island, but did you do provincial teams? And then when did you start to think like, I'm loving this sport so much, like, let's figure out who's going to recruit me and where I can move on with this thing. Cause I, you know, I'm fully into it or did that come later down the road in your senior year? I was definitely getting interest in grade 11 and I had been involved with provincial teams and that was actually the provincial teams were more of a situation like with, with, uh, well, by grade 11, I, I would have played on some, but, um, I think it would have been the summer before grade 11. I, I was on the provincial team that went down to uh the bci tournament in lubbock texas and uh and first of all going to provincial camps you know you get to see all the best players from the province and the island although i do feel like it's at least back then i mean it's had its ups and downs but it often overperforms for its first population in terms of basketball it's fair basketball players however going to the provincial the provincial camps you get to see a much you know it's just a bigger pond and then going from those provincial camps to something like the bci tournament <laughs> in the states was an entirely different like eye-opening experience like i i remember because we were playing in the the texas tech arena you know it's just a, a whole different scale than you're used to and then you're also seeing like i remember just being blown away by uh, the club team the New York Riverside Church, where yes. I would watch their their warm ups and everyone's dunking. I saw a guy dunk on somebody in the game, and this is at I, I don't know if I would have been around grade ten level. That was just unheard of, and and so that kind of thing at least let me know that uh, that I had work to do. So so that was mm-hmm. that was a motivating factor. I, I may have been having a, a leg up on most of the competition on the island, but the, there were there were much bigger seas out there. Yeah. So yeah, we played like some some strong teams on the mainland. There were there were strong AAA teams like Oak Bay was good back back in that day. They had like uh, Chris Whitaker and and Andy Wilmot and and Eli Blake were uh, were on Oak Bay at that team. So they had a they had a strong team. I did know on the island at AA at that time, like Harry High was always strong, and Lady Smith was really well coached at that time. Randy Steele was was coaching them, so the, so they were tough. Rob Ron out of uh, out oh, of the yeah, North Rob Island Ron. as well. Yeah, but but yeah, the level of competition. I th- I think that helped us because we we had tested ourselves against some other good teams. So uh, so when we got to the provincial tournament for the AA level, it, it wasn't like this is the first time that we were really tested. And I mean, like I said, to make a run two years in a row, especially that grade 11 year, 
at the double A level, it's like, okay, well, the target is every gym. There's no more secrets now. Okay. Lambrook park basketball is here. Right. Um, so it's like, yeah, they kind of took everybody besides surprise for the first year, but you, you better be prepared for your senior year, which is kind of cool because you know that everybody's giving you their best shot on every given night, which is, which is kind of a great feeling to have. And also, you know, it sounds like just getting to know you and hear you speak sounds like internally you're pretty like mentally tough guy. You sound like a bit of a stoic and kind of just sort of tough and hard nosed. I'm just getting that sense. Maybe I'm off, but did you view yourself as a, like a captain kind of guy where you just, did you play by example? What, what was your style? And when did that uh, recruiting process really start to happen for you in grade 12? And when did you decide to make the decision you did? Yeah, I, I would say like, what I've learned of leadership since high school, I, I wouldn't have put myself like, I, I guess you could say I, I tried <laughs> I mean, to. I mean, who would though, lead. right? 17 yeah. year old boys, right? We're just friggin' smelling farts and being idiots, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, but even saying that there's, there are diff- different personality types. There's like the vocal type of person. And as you said, I, I am very stoic and, and probably was even more so back then. I think I could have done a lot more to, uh, improve my teammates, like make them feel better about the game of basketball, better about their contributions. I I think, you know, I, I just kind of went about my bit, my business. One, one thing I will say is that I was never really sort of a, a, a skills kind of player. Like it was more, you know, I just wanted to be bigger and stronger and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, just kind of like bash my way to the hoop sort of thing might have got me a couple of offensive fouls along the way but uh, i bet they only took one though they probably only took one then they were like that's it no steak dinner for me uh, yeah well yeah. i think occasionally they're like hey this guy's gonna foul out if i keep doing this so, fair enough yeah, yeah. yeah. but uh, <laughs> but yeah looking back i mean hindsight it's always 2020 but i but i think i could have been a more i definitely could have done a better job in terms of leadership in that grade 12 year we were like like you said we weren't surprising anyone that year i think we were ranked number one like the entire season we were competing hard against the, the best of the triple a teams i think we had we might have played richmond richmond was kind of the team to beat that year we played them reasonably we we lost to them but uh but we weren't blown out of the gym or anything like that mm-hmm and and we were going over trying to trying to find the best competition we could and we were heavily favored i think going into the provincial tournament and what it boils down to is is we just kind of absolutely choked in the final as a group we uh, we were hosting it on our own home court and oh, no. uh, and just yeah like it was it was just packed to the rafters and like it's kind of the reason why i still enjoy watching march madness more i enjoy watching the nba because you just never know what's going to happen. Like some kids can just absolutely step up and have mind blowing game. And some guys are are going to choke, like we said. And, and, you know, that happens at the collegiate level a lot. It happened especially so at the, at the high school level. So um, we, we were playing George Elliott in the final. And uh, I'm trying to remember his last name, Andre. It's escaping me right now. Andre. Looked it up. It's Andre Thomas. Again, lit us up. This was like a recurring theme in provincial finals. I think he had 49 points on us. I don't know how many three-pointers. Not 13 three-pointers like Dave Dick did at Agassiz, but... Uh, Not 13, but seven. But yeah, he, he lit us up at 49 points. My only solace was that I scored 50 before I fouled out of that game. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we ended up... Just a casual 50, hey? Yeah, but... 
in a losing effort. So uh, that was the takeaway from that. I had already had some recruiting happening in grade 11 and then i i was getting a a fair amount of interest from teams on the west coast obviously teams in canada and then some of the american teams in on the west coast the occasional one from out east but uh i sort of feel like the uh, the risk you take trying to recruit a 6-9 guy that's uh reasonably coordinated uh even if they don't turn out to be a superstar at least you've got a great practice body so uh i I think i was very attractive to uh to most collegiate basketball teams at that point how did the american interest happen and again old head not old timer okay you know this is not a time you know what for players we always hear the steve nash story right but i think yours is very unique because you're even before him so we're talking there's no youtube there's no email how does that happen? It's intriguing to me. And and where does that, is that you marketing yourself? Is it someone making a call? How does that all sort of unfold for you? No, I think the huge part about that was our trips to the States. Yeah. Because I think we played some teams and the coaches were like, there's this massive guy who plays <laughs> up in Canada. You should maybe go check him out. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and yeah, Ed was doing all he could to, to try and to try and get my name out, get us exposure as a team. And it was a different animal. The recruiting down there, like uh, people were still out trying to find, you know, diamonds in the rough, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was just a, sort of one of those things that snowballed. I'd, I'd taken the provincial, played on the provincial teams that had gone down into the States. And so just managed to get myself in, in front of a couple of scouts or a couple of coaches and, and word of mouth spread. And did they thought of... You know, being a you know a, an island kid and kind of going somewhere really foreign, well, literally another country, but just sort of taking that huge leap. Did that make you nervous, or were you pretty confident in yourself that things would go okay, or was it a little bit of it all? Like, was it a hard sell, or did you just love hoops and you're like, I'm, I mean, I get this opportunity, I'm gonna, I'm gonna run with it. Well, I took a very long look at Uvic because, like, it, it was also. Uh, are you always an academic? That's a side of you, you know, you bright guy you saw you know santa clara the academic awards and things like that was that a priority for you too at the same time or i mean cal is not everybody yeah. just gets into cal you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It, was, it was funny and actually that did factor into some of my decision because like i said my dad was kind of on the nerdy side so uh so the academics were always a priority for me and I, w- I was always kind of hedging my bets like whether this basketball thing was going to turn out or you, you know I wanted to get an education that was that was going to be able to help me down the line whether or not I stuck with basketball I, I did take a long look at UVic because it was a great basketball program and Canadian universities I feel have never gone to Canadian university but my <laughs> my feeling is that they compete with the American universities quite handily in general however there are you know there's so many universities down in the states obviously there's going to be some really elite ones but i i had taken the sats so that i could gain entrance to an american university and and i did quite well on the scores and so a few of the the schools that i was talking to and uh and went on recruiting trips to i I went on recruiting trips actually to santa clara out of high school i went on a recruiting trip to oregon and so was in these these conversations with these schools and I said my SAT scores to the the people at Cal and they were like well that should get you in and then I was like huh okay well that's that's uh, that's a different level than we're talking about yeah. however 
them saying that. I don't. I don't. I think it might have been a bit of bravado because the year after I got there, Jason Kidd managed to get in as well. So <laughs> they might have had some flexibility there. I will say. <laughs> but but the uh, the academics were were definitely a priority for me. So I, I've I've thought about this long because I ended up transferring from Cal because it didn't end up being a good situation for me, and and mm-hmm. so I was sort of wondering what would have been my best bet. Like I, I did have a uh, a great experience at Santa Clara, but uh, I kind of wonder. I never even took a recruiting trip, but I, I kind of wonder because I'd been recruited by Stanford as well, and my dad had actually said to me after I'd made the decision. Or actually, after I graduated, he was like, I was kind of wondered what would happen if you went to Stanford. And uh, and so I've kind of got that sort of wonder in the back of my head, too, if that might have been a good uh, decision for me. But it was just going into the complete unknown. As you said, there weren't a ton of players going down to the States to play basketball at that time. And my parents had no clue about sports and Sports in in the U.S. is a completely different animal to what what we're used to in Canada as well. So it was, I went down there very naive, and I feel like as a country there isn't that naivety anymore. Like I think I think most of the the players that are are getting recruited to go down to the states now probably have a lot more of an understanding of of what they're getting into and sort of what to look for than I did back then. Did you play Team Canada before? Like, were you on the junior national team? So, like, were you still in high school or was that going into your first year? I made the junior national team when I was 16. Yeah, okay. So I was young for it. Like, like I went to the tryouts for it. And, yeah, I I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have a lot of expectations um, because it was, I think, up to first year university was the age cutoff. And I and I was in grade eleven, so I remember going to the tryout camp and and working my butt off. And and like I said, I you know I wasn't really a skills guy, but I liked to bang inside. And and uh, apparently, what I did made some impression on the coaches. I remember talking to Kent Shields after the tryout camp, and he sort of was asking me, "How do you think I did?" And uh, and I was I was. You know, I, I wasn't sure. I said, you know, I, I tried to do it. I, I could have tried to rebound, tried to defend. And he was like, yeah, I think you did that. And at that point, he knew that I was being selected, but uh, but he didn't let it slip to me. Anyway, I, I did find out a little later, and I was I was pretty jazzed, jazzed to find out that, uh, that I'd made the junior national team. And that was a bit of an eye-opener, too. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, I, I made the team, but I wasn't, like, I, I wasn't, a good chunk of the rotation and I actually ended up getting some kind of crazy like shin splint during the because I just wasn't used to training that hard for that long so I, I wasn't getting a lot of playing time we did take a, a trip down to South America and to play in one of the junior national games of the Americas or or whatever you want to call them and that was a, a pretty eye-opening experience for like a 16 year old kid to go down to these uh, these games with like a bunch of older people and yeah, it was it was really my my first time traveling like overseas as uh, somebody who could remember it. Like my parents traveled a lot when I was I was younger, but I didn't I didn't remember any of it. That was quite an experience for me as well. So yeah, like that kind of thing. I definitely had basketball experience going into uh, going into university, but um, 
but just the sort of the level of the machine, like the, the sport machine in the States was, uh, was a different animal. tied it right in for me man that's exactly where I I wanted to lead you for that question was so playing all those teams playing internationally I mean Ken Shields is talking to you and you're like worried about getting a ride home from your dad that's how young you are trying out for the junior national team right like maybe you didn't have your license yet or maybe you did but and then yeah so it wasn't the basketball side it was the machine of of division one hey it was just very interesting or yeah I, I think the thing is like I was kind of like a unicorn coming off of Vancouver Island. Like there weren't a lot of players <laughs> yeah, my Liz, size yeah. and, and that were that committed to the game at that point. So I considered myself very special. And then I got down to the States and I found out that I was not very special. Like, you know, there there's more a dime a dozen kind of thing. So, and, and the thing about it is it's a very competitive situation for the players, for the coaches, Everyone involved, there's there's a lot of money in the sport, and uh, you know you, you you have to perform, or there isn't the same, I think, level of commitment for development that you might get in Canada. Because if if we are from their perspective, if they, if they're if you're going to have to commit all these resources to make this player to get something out of this player for two or three years when they're older, maybe there's somebody else in the wings that uh, will take less resources so i i think that's the biggest eye opener or was the biggest eye opener for me is is that uh there wasn't the same that there was just a much much bigger uh stockpile of players that were on the same level interesting and you mentioned jay kidd yeah so the teams we had well going to cal I was looking for a a good academic school that I felt like I was going to have a chance to work myself into the rotation. So at Cal at the time, there were they had a center who was I think going into his final year, which would have been my first year. So I thought, you know, I could be an understudy one year, and then hopefully I'll be able to move in to getting some serious playing time by my second year. Uh, what I didn't know was that they also had redshirted another center that player had redshirted or was redshirting the year before I got there and when I got there they were actually probably keen on me to redshirt but I wanted to play so (laughs) there was already I I think I was getting myself off on the wrong foot with the coaching staff there because they they wanted me to wait a year to to mature and get stronger which I I totally understand I think it's worthwhile because that that year from high school to first year university there's a big difference in like an 18 year old kid versus like a, a 20 21 22 year old man and and so like that that year was was a huge eye-opener for me so like taking the opportunity to redshirt probably might not have been a bad idea for me but i wanted to play and i wanted to to prove myself and and it kind of became apparent to me like i i was looking at the roster that they had i hadn't really looked at so much of the recruiting class that was coming in with me and so i think they were actually looking at me as like well this guy could be if he doesn't pan out like we we have a practice body like we just you know we picked up this yoko from canada who knows <laughs> and i don't know what their expectations were but I, I do remember like sort of some of our early season or preseason sort of scrimmages and i was surprised at because i didn't know 
all of these other recruits that were coming in with me. Like we had, I think there was a group of five of us coming in that year. This was the year before Jason Keith got there. But um, uh, we we played in these scrimmages and I'm like, huh, there's like guys in my position here. So this is going to be a dogfight. <laughs> And I think like some of them were were more highly touted than me. I do remember in one of the one of the early season scrimmages, I, I dunked on a guy, and one of one of the other recruits, and it really seemed to have an impact on the coaches that were watching. Like they were like, "Oh, you know, this who knows what we what we have here." But in the end, I don't think I was ever really meant. It, it's hard to tell. It depends on how my performance could have been, but I don't think when I was recruited, I sort of feel like you know the story they were telling they were telling me was maybe not what the intention was for uh, or, or what their vision was for the team down the road. And yeah, it it was it was interesting. Well, maybe interesting is the wrong word, but the <laughs> coach we had there, Lou Campanelli, who ended up getting fired for being too abusive in his tirades and and uh and you know how he treated the players that was a big difference for me like coming out of well high school for one thing but even like any of the other like high level teams like the the national team whatever like i i not been exposed to that level of i don't know let's call it intensity if you want (laughs) we we had a good group of players but uh uh, I just don't feel like he was was getting the best out of us. Like I think, you know, mm-hmm. we were all, you know, maybe he was coming from the the standpoint of like, you you break a guy down to nothing and then you build him back up. But uh, it just felt like a lot of breaking guys down until he eventually got fired. And this was in my my second year. I'd gone back for my second year, and and that is the year where they brought in like Jason Kidd. Like we we had we had a lot of great players on the team and we just weren't performing until coach got fired and then like everyone's kind of we stopped hanging our heads and and uh started enjoying the game again and mm-hmm. made a, a nice run into the NCAA tournament that year I managed to beat duke yes i always yeah. love it when duke goes down yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i sure enjoyed that game as well but no um, doubt how how special was Jay Kidd though? Could you just tell? You know, well, I, I'm severely biased because, like, I, I used to like to say, like, you know, I, I had a couple of pretty good point guards I played with in university between Jason Kidd and, and Steve Nash. Jason Kidd was like, you know, he was tall, he was big, he was fast. He didn't shoot the ball all that well, but had like, you know, he was incredibly strong, great hands, saw the game really well he was a very special player but i mean for me there's there was no competition with steve in terms of like skill and creativity and making your teammates better so i also uh, you, you know i i didn't get along with him that well personally so so you know that might also kind of color my vision of him as a, as a player but yeah he he was a special player also on our team at that point was uh, Lamont Murray he was actually in my recruiting class Ooh. like he was one of those guys that i was like you know coming out of high school i was like wow this guy just has all the tools in the arsenal cuz he was i don't know he's like 6667 six, six, but just had massive hands his his reach was like 3 or 4 inches taller than mine like if we stood next to each other and reached up like his arms were so long <laughs> shoot the ball he was 
incredibly explosive and athletic and and yeah just one of those guys could never sleep on or you're gonna get it dunked on so yeah he he was he was a great player jason was a great player we had we had a, a lot of horses on that team so it wasn't surprising that we had actually managed to make a little bit of a run in the tournament that year and i'm just intrigued at what point did you decide okay that like I've, I, it's time for me to move on here it must have been hard it must be must have had some huge ups and downs some long phone calls home to people that matter and just sort of, you know, I think that's one of the challenges. I think, you know, when we, we think of athletes can make it to a level like yourselves, it's like, we all think it's just roses, right? And it's, there's some serious struggles being away from home, being from the Island, you know, dealing with a coach who's borderline sounds like almost abusive in a way, right? Just sort of way offside in terms of their style and trying to fit in on a group on a team with guys from all over the world. How were you able to continue to get up and compete every day? And then when did your heart start to tell you it's time for some change here? Well, it didn't end up being too difficult of a decision. I I was actually roommates with Jared Haas, who is another really yeah. impressive player. Like he was, he was he's a real student of the game. I obviously, ended up being a, a coach as well. Yeah, but yeah, like I was pretty stubborn. Like I think I probably could have seen the writing on the wall after my first year. But uh, I'm a stubborn stubborn guy. I used to go into practice and and you know we'd have like the starters versus the reserves all the time and it was just a question of which color you had on your reversible and i always came to practice wearing the starters color and would make <laughs> the coach tell me to turn my turn my jersey around oh i love I it be in the reserve squad which i, mean, I friggin love you know, it man like, in my mind here i am thinking i'm like I'm, I'm sending a message that i want to be a starter but really i just was creating this adversarial relationship yeah. with the coach <laughs> did you stare him down while you flipped your jersey too <laughs> like just give <laughs> i'm sure i probably did on, on some days but, yeah uh, <laughs> But but yeah yeah so so our head coach got fired and then the the assistant that took over Todd Bozeman he had not been involved in recruiting me at all like he was he was obviously one of the the top assistants to take over the squad after the fact but uh, he had recruited all the other players <laughs> except for me and so you know with with the coach getting fired. I think there was, I'm trying to remember if there was some provision, but I mean, I ended up sitting out my transfer year anyway, but uh, Jared and I realized that we weren't going to be, I think we realized like this, this wasn't a good fit for either of us. And so he transferred to, uh, to Kansas and, uh, and then I, I was trying to find somewhere to go and I had actually gotten in touch with Steve, who was at uh, Santa Clara at the time. And I was like, Hey, what's it like there and he's like it's awesome come here and i was like okay i will and did you know him much from before this well i i definitely knew him from the victoria basketball scene but the way mm -hmm. it worked out in high school he's kind of missed each me. other yeah yeah because he had, he had to sit out yeah yeah so when i was in grade 12 he would have been in in grade 11 our first chance to play each other but he had to he had to sit out that year so mm -hmm. so we didn't get a chance to compete against each other but uh yeah i i definitely knew him well from all the camps and everything else that we would have been in the same place same time and then and then, so you get there and what's the difference i mean you get two years you're all conference um west coast conference Everybody knows that amazing game against Maryland. You know, it was kind of, well, you know, I had the VHS for years. It was one of the games I would watch to pump myself up for games and things like that. But uh, what was the difference? Was it just a, was it the group of guys? Was it the leadership of Steve? 
I mean, was it as good as it looked on the outside? Yeah, like yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's it's not like we won the NCAA championship or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But um, but for me, like that was those were the best basketball teams that I've ever played on. Like the in terms of um, just like the, the top to bottom commitment, the culture. There were a lot of factors involved. I think you know you had to have the right group of guys. You had to have the the right approach from the, the coaching staff and you cannot oversell Steve's Steve's factor and all of that like he is you know I, I think you'll get the same story from anyone who's ever played with him he's just like the hardest working player that uh, you could ever come across and so that kind of work ethic is contagious you know uh, as, as I said when I was in high school I felt like I could have been a, a much better leader in terms of like motivating the other players on my squad to, to try and reach their potential I think Steve really did that at Santa Clara like the whole kind of culture and commitment that uh, that he led made for a very special team and you know the coach there obviously like bled basketball Dick Davey but I, but I think like you'll even find in uh, in Steve's interviews like he he's very thankful to Dick Davey for pushing him and, and all the opportunities but there's there's also that tinge of uh, you know that that word comes back intensity or, or whatever you want to call it like it, it was it was not a walk in the park like like mm. we were we were being pushed to our limits like mentally and physically trying to squeeze every last drop of potential out of all the guys and and oh you frame it so well it's like poetic well done <laughs> yeah in saying that like there there are some moments like you know Santa Clara I felt like it was, was a much more honest and genuine program for me than Cal was at at the time but there were there were players that did not flourish in that system. Like there were guys that came in for a year or two and didn't fit or, or you know, to, it, it just didn't work out well for them. And, and it is just a question of like, it's the same old story. There, there's just, there were people waiting in the wings to take those spots. So, you know, if, if you're not able to overcome some of that adversity, then you're not going to succeed in those situations. I have myself like, like it, it's a bittersweet uh, looking back on it, it, it is kind of bittersweet, more, much more sweet than bitter. But there are some moments where I'm, I feel like some of the in terms of leadership, I, uh, some of the situations could have been handled better. But in saying that, like there, there is so much pressure and uh, on, on the coaching staff and, and the amount of time and effort that he was putting in. It's a pretty insane situation to be in. Yeah, there, there's just a few. Dick Davey obviously cared deeply about all of us. But I don't think a lot of us really liked, well, I would say, you know, we we respected him, but I don't think we, a lot of the times we weren't liking him when we're playing under him. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. some, some of it is bringing the team cohesiveness against a, a common enemy kind of thing. But, um, but even saying that, like there, there's a couple of moments that I felt stuck with me that I was like, I, I feel like that could have been handled better. Like I, re- I remember in, um, when I was in my junior years we had we did this both years we we had like successful seasons regular seasons and then the wcc has a, a conference tournament and you, you used to be you pretty much had to win the conference tournament to get to the ncaa tournament so we had finished top or tied for first i think we might have finished first 
going into the conference tournament. So we, we'd won our conference, then we're going into the conference tournament, and we lost the one versus eight game both times. <laughs> and so then we're sitting there, lost oh the conference tournament, waiting waiting for an at-large bid, and just kind of like on pins and needles of, uh, is our season over? Are we going to keep playing? Oh. This happened in my junior year. And so we're having to keep practicing, not knowing if we have another oh, game or the worst, not. just the worst. And we've come off obviously a bad loss, and Dick Davy didn't take bad losses that well. So <laughs> just punishing us um, in these in these games, and then we 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 find out that we've got a we are going to make the tournament, and we're we're going to have a first round game, and and so we start to prepare for these, and and we're kind of worn out from the games and in one of the drills like you know we're like i said we're being driven to um, squeeze out every last bit of potential so we're we're <laughs> going full speed as hard as we can against each other in this drill and i ended up coming down on someone's ankle or sorry coming down on someone's foot and i sprained my ankle and uh, i remember like a flash of pain i'm sitting there rolling around on the floor and dick davies like comes over and says that's what happens when you don't work hard and i was just like really like is that productive is that is that helpful is that is but i think that's like that speaks to you know you you have your starting center go down prior to your ncaa game where you're hoping to have another cinderella story where you upset arizona or something like that and then and then your starting center goes down he's probably feeling a lot of uh, loss at that point too but i i just feel like there was Maybe a better way to to let that feeling of loss be out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I just feel like there was that aspect to uh, to playing under Dick Davey, which I think has stuck with me. Like because at that time, you know, he he is he was, you know, they basically owned you down there, and he was a huge factor in my life, and and so i find myself like i think i think some of the sympathy that i maybe could be showing in similar situations uh, you know sort of learning by example there i have to <laughs> continually try and tell myself hey you have to show some compassion from time to time stories and reflection appreciate all those and then you try the overseas thing right play get an agent and and figure all that out what's that what's that like i was i was getting a bit of interest as you said i made all conference in my, in my senior year i wasn't putting up crazy numbers and and obviously steve was the guy to watch on our team i had had one knee surgery by this time when I transferred I ended up having a knee surgery that summer which impacted me a bit but yeah so so I managed to to work my way up to to all conference in that uh, that final year and so I got interest from a couple of agents obviously not uh, anyone of the scale of, of Billy Duffy or anything like that but um, I managed to sign on with a guy who I felt had connections in Europe, which I which I thought was where I was going to end up. Um, but again, it was one of those situations where I just had no experience, didn't have a lot of people to to sort of learn from or, or ask questions of or get advice from. You know, my family had all of this was like breaking new ground for everyone that I knew. I did get some support 
obviously from Santa Clara, you know, they made they made me a great uh, highlight tape, which uh, I I've still got a copy of that I'm, I'm yes. waiting to show my kids uh, if I can find maybe a, a is it on the black and white works. is it on the black and white reel? Yeah, yeah the, the old the old the old talkies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so anyway, they, they helped me, but, uh, but I think there's like kind of a line they like to, to divide the, the NCAA, you know, they're, they're, they don't want to have any kind of connection between professional sports and amateur sports and, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in the NCAA. But, uh, I just took the best shot I had, got, uh, got an agent and, and then kind of left it in his hands to, to find find me an opportunity to play, I actually went and tried out for uh, the national team that year. So that would have been ninety six. Yeah, yeah, that I graduated. So that summer, um, I I actually made the national team. Now this is after Ken Shields had, had finished his his time. I had played on the student team that had gone to the World University Games uh, a couple of times. I went to ninety three and ninety five. But then this was, I guess, kind of like a, a rebuilding year for the national program. So I, I I went to the tryout. I actually managed to make the team, but there was, you know, we weren't qualified for Worlds or uh, yeah. or the Olympics or anything like that. So I think the, the competition was the Jones Cup over in Taiwan. I went with the team over to Taiwan and then my agent said, hey, I've, I've got a a team for you to go play with my first team was in austria and uh i ended up leaving the national team before i even played a game with them in in at the jones cup so i feel like that might have made a bit of a, a black spot on my national team commitment ledger but anyways yeah I, I left the national team and and went to uh to my squad in austria and then that was like the whole lather rinse repeat of of like kind of going to the states for basketball was just like a totally new situation just thrust into like a a a foreign country and and just the the machinations of of what goes on for like like obviously not a top tier uh european league it was just an interesting experience on on many fronts the system we ran in santa clara was was very structured and uh, I think, you know, we were able to have that structured of an offense because Steve was so creative as a play runner. You know, mm-hmm. he, he could still be very creative, you know, no matter what you put him in. But I, I definitely, as I said, not a skills guy. I just like to, you know, be bigger and stronger and bang around. I was also much more of a, a linear thinker. Like I, I, I may have done well academically, but uh, the subjects I did well in are like physics and, and math and stuff like that. So I, I liked when you could just follow a pattern and, and, and that sort of thing, is, which works to some extent in basketball. But I think to really kind of go to the next level, you really need that, that kind of creativity to to spark the great players shout out to shout out the 96 uh scholar athlete of the year in the wcc come on now yeah yeah did, and i managed to make like one of the that's legit know, man second or third team academic all-american or Sweet. something like that yeah i do feel like i kind of I, like i said i was hedging my bets and and 
you know, I ended up getting my degree in electrical engineering and then I went off and played basketball for <laughs> eight years, basically making my degree completely obsolete by the time that I had any chance to use it. So, uh, yeah. He goes to head. apply nine years later. You have a degree in what and when did you graduate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, obviously, the industry just, you know, it doesn't wait yes. like that. It, uh, it, it continually evolves. But yeah, I, I went over to Austria and, and uh and I was playing there and it was just like you know this kind of lower tier team in the Austrian league that was just kind of like my first professional team was so unprofessionally run compared to what I was used to like coming from the the amateur team of Santa Clara there was so much more money and effort and prof professionalism with Santa Clara than there was with this team in Austria <laughs> that you're getting paid to play for yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but the other the other thing that I didn't adapt to was like I was used to being like you know a wheel in the cog and you know playing my role and and uh you know working everyone working together to have uh, success as a team but like what I didn't adapt to is when you go over as an import for a, a team in Europe you need to score and score and score and like you need <laughs> you need to like put the team on your back and I was like I, I wasn't ready for that so uh yeah that that was a, a bit of a rough start as I said the team was not professionally run they didn't really handle their the bureaucracy of getting me work permits and like the the necessary the documentation that they should have been handling to have me stay in the country yeah um they just didn't handle it correctly and so i was getting oh pursued and basically deported partway through the uh, partway through the season and at that point they were like well it's somebody else will come play if they deport you we can just bring in another player and then by the time you know like the however many months you have until they come after the next one they'll it's all fine it was another one of those questions of like there's always someone waiting in the wings so yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah they didn't fight to to keep me on the team and so i left that team partway through the season and ended up going and and finishing up sort of like a, an, an off-season, half-season in Hong Kong, which was another eye-opener in terms of like just the culture shock of, yeah, no doubt. of living in Hong Kong. I've never been so uh, self-conscious of my height as I was there because just the obviously the, the difference in demographics and then the difference in uh, culture where apparently it's, it's perfectly fine to just point and laugh at people openly in the street. <laughs> because you look different <laughs> so that that was that was fun mm. <laughs> so yeah I, I i played over in hong kong for a few months then came back to canada and then i tried out for the national team again so this would have been in in 97 and the national team tryouts are grueling to say the least and like you're you're constantly on a racer's edge of, of if you're gonna get cut or not so you're just like going as hard as you can as long as you can and i managed to stick with the team that time and we went down and played in the fila summer pro league down in california and then just kind of inexplicably like we had the break and then there was going to be the second part of the summer season for the national team at that point and uh they just decided to to send pretty much anyone who was still eligible to play on the student team. They took them off the, the senior team and, and sent them to the student team because they brought in a bunch of guys that didn't even show up for the tryouts. 
for the national team, <laughs> which I found to be questionable. I, I, I found like the two years that I actually made the national team that the whole national program was in a, a sort of questionable state in terms mm-hmm. of how it was being run. This was before Triano took the reins. And so, so anyway, yeah, I, I got sent to the uh, the student team, which ended up being a lot of fun. I went over and uh, actually I got to play with uh, Eric Henriksen, another island boy on uh, that team. We, we had a wonderful tournament in uh, Sicily. And then I was just waiting to hear about trying to find another team to play with the next year. Bounced around between a couple before I landed in the UK, where I determined that I had, because I had a Scottish grandfather I had uh, the ability to play as like sort of not quite an import, but not a national. Like they had these different slots. And I felt like if I stayed there, I'd be able to get a a passport. So I ended up being in the, playing in the UK and got to play against, uh, you know, a few other BC boys like Andrew Mavis and, and uh, well, actually I played with Greg Meldrum as well. Yes. Like um, I think Greg Francis played a year over there. There were a few Canadians that that managed to stick out in. Uh... So yeah, I stayed there until I got my passport, and then I thought I was going to be in for the big money once I got my passport. Mm-hmm. But by that point, the sort of the rulings in the European Union they had been opening it up to like Eastern Bloc uh, countries that produced really good basketball players that were coming from very depressed economies, so they were willing to play for a lot less money than the North American imports would. And, and uh, uh, after leaving the UK, I went back to Austria for my first... Oh, um, smokes. <laughs> for my first like uh, season with my passport. But um, in that summer, prior to, to going over to, to Austria, I, I'd been sort of waiting out... I'm trying to find my best opportunity, um, and my my father actually passed away right at uh, in sort of September, when I would have been going over to uh, to play, and obviously that kind of rocked my world in a lot of ways. And so then, so then I ended up just kind of taking whatever came along later, like uh, that late in the season. Mm-hmm. So I, I went to Austria again, wasn't really happy there and decided to take the opportunity to, to move mid season to uh, a team in Belgium. Funny world because that team in Belgium, I don't know how many guys from Victoria or the Island had come through there. Like I think uh, Tom Johnson had played there. Spencer McKay had gone through, I don't think he played there, but he, he, he'd been in Belgium. I actually mm-hmm. saw him over there. Eric Heinerson played for the same team and it was called Brie and the, uh, another center, a French national from, he played at Santa Clara named Phil von Buchwald also played there. So like all these guys that I knew had played in this team before and I ended up there too. And that was the, uh, the last, last team I played for, because at that point, uh, I, I sort of felt like, you know, I'd been so far away from my family for so long and I wasn't getting the, the contracts, the lucrative contracts that I'd been hoping for. So mm-hmm. I decided to hang him up. Do you feel like the passing of your dad kind of fast-tracked it a bit more too or just made you realize how much you're kind of missing home without even, you know, knowing it before that happened? Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Like, I, it, that was a very tough year for me because, like, my, my dad passed away and then I kind of went over to uh, to Europe and, and yeah, you know, you're, you're pretty isolated over there 
however, yeah, it was, it, that was a very tough year. I was very lucky that I, I had met my current wife, but then girlfriend. We had lived together my last year in the UK and then, and then she came over with me uh, when we went to Austria and, and Belgium. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, she, she kept me sane. <laughs> Which I, I think was was kind of an uphill battle that year mm. because yeah I, you know I had I had a lot going on but yeah like yeah my dad had passed away uh, the end of the season in Belgium uh, and one of the other players broke my nose in practice and the second time I broke my nose and I was just like you know what I don't need this <laughs> yay. <laughs> Absolutely. No, for sure. We had the opportunity to, um, when Vancouver hosted the Olympics, we went over to Switzerland and hung with uh, Tony McCrory. He is a good buddy of mine. He was playing in Basel. And, uh, you know, you just like just to experience, you know, I spent probably three days in a row just going to practices and games, just watching it all and seeing and, you know, going to the local restaurant that the team owner owned. And it was like, yeah, this is, this could be lonely, right? And like, there's, there's, you got to be in a good mental place to sort of get through it all because, I mean, a foreign country, a lot of the dudes are foreign guys. You only have a couple Americans that probably aren't interested in hanging with you, and and you got to sort it out from there, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you know the the language barrier. For often, sure. often you can end up with a team in a very small market, small town, mm-hmm. so there might not be a lot to do. So yeah, it, it can be it can be lonely. I actually. Kim, my, my wife and I had, had met up with uh, Tony and his girlfriend at the time when uh, I'm trying to remember what team he was playing for, but I think it was when we were we were either in Austria or in Belgium, and, and yeah, just yeah. ended up meeting them. Went went and saw Lord of the Rings. It was playing in English at one of the movie theaters. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. This has been great. You ready? For, let's do some closing questions, and we'll uh, get you on your way. Sound good? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now we've remixed a few too, so you get the uh, you get the first run of some new questions, some new flavor to uh, a hoops journey. I, I hope you don't feel too much pressure, um, but I did send it to you ahead of time, and I'm sure your engineer brain has thought through it all, right? Yeah, let's see if I can come my feet. Okay, uh, up to this point in your life, who's been the most important people in your life? Well, I th- I think it really depends, sort of, at the stage of my life. Obviously, when when I was younger, my uh, my parents and my brother were huge, huge impact. I always looked up to my brother. And then, as, as I mentioned in high school, like the, the amount of commitment and effort that Ed made on uh, on my behalf for basketball was was really life-changing. And then in university, like I said, it, it felt like the coaching staff pretty much owned you. So like, like Davey was, was a big factor in my life. But then, yeah, like sort of once I got away from that it, it's definitely been my wife and and now since uh since we've had kids my my wife and kids you know I've gone I've gone from having the NCAA coaches own me to my kids own me now <laughs> <laughs> well I wouldn't say it feels like I'd say you're probably correct in that yeah yeah at least you're able to admit it that's the most important I'd say <laughs> I love it um you sitting here in the background. I see the Led Zeppelin poster. Dead or alive, best seat in the house. Take the wife. What concert are you going to? Well, I have been very lucky. In uh, I've I've gotten to see some ah. some of my like the the big names that that I really wanted to get to see. I got to see. 
So I've I've already gone to see Page and Plant a couple of times. I know it's not Led Zeppelin, what? but it's as close as yeah. you can get. Actually, probably the highlight of the concerts that I got to see was when I was in California. The Tragically Hip opened for Page and Plant, so that was pretty money. I've seen Bruce Springsteen a bunch of times. I've seen Bob Dylan. I've seen Van Morrison. Yeah, I've got to see lot, lots Corbs, of who these. is this guy? I know. Are you yeah. kidding me? So oh the God. one... The roster. The one that got away for me that uh, I would jump at the chance if he ever tours again is Tom Waits. So I think that that'll be my final answer. Tom Waits, if he if he ever decides to stop acting in movies and and do another tour, that's who I'll go see. Well, I hope that I don't fall in love with you. Only because you've seen everybody else that's any good so wow what a roster that is impressive stuff right there yeah i i've said to uh, to lots of people i've never regretted going to to a concert i've never gone to a concert and being like oh i i wish i'd spent that money somewhere else it's true yeah. live music's pretty good i would agree with that now your kids are a little bit older right so they're 15 and 13 yeah okay so what what's ketchup on macaroni like in the house is this uh is this a thing? Was it ever a thing? Is it? Yeah. You know, what's really interesting. Like my, both my kids are pretty picky eaters. Mm-hmm. One of them particularly so. So it doesn't get better. Like mine's five. You're telling me it, it, there's well, a chance it might I, be. I, I don't know. You yeah. might be able to okay. do a better job than I do. Get on it early is what I'd okay. say. Dom Zimmerman morning. Yeah. But neither of them like ketchup, which is weird. Wow. Like they don't, they don't have it on fries. What? They don't like ketchup. Burger? Yeah, yeah, not on a burger, nothing. Wow. As far as the macaroni, they definitely like like the mac and cheese, but, uh, you know, I don't even get to touch it because they eat it all before it's gone. Uh, anyway, I would never put ketchup on macaroni. I would also say I probably wouldn't pick macaroni as a meal if I had some other option. Yes. Unless there's like, I find that I'll go macaroni if I'm at a restaurant where there's like braised short rib or something. Do you know what I mean? Like some sort of oh, like, yeah, like good fancy meat on top. macaroni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, yeah. then ketchup should never enter the con- conversation at all, I would hope. Well played. Well played. A big man speaking like a point guard. I like it. Do you read much? Yeah, I I used to read a lot more okay. when I had the time, and um, I've started trying to pick up a book now and, and put down my phone. I I do. I'm. I would say like you know another guy you had on the podcast, uh, Phil Ole, uh, mm-hmm. which is he, he's been a big influence for me recently. Like in in talking about leadership, like that like that guy has taught me a lot about leadership. Nice. He he. Uh, I'm get, I'm getting a little sidetracked. But like he, he has given me recommendations on things to read that might actually improve my life or broaden my horizons or, or things like that. But I end up reading a lot of just kind of novels and and fiction. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like a, a fantasy and science fiction okay. nerd. There you go. Currently reading the uh, the Wheel of Time series, which is apparently going to be made into a, uh, a Netflix show wow. coming. There out. you go. But there's like 14 books in the series, so I'm oh, geez. book three. So Phil Ole's recommendations, uh, they're going to be a while before they get I, picked I up. I have yeah. the book. They're on my yeah. on my bedside table. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said, I've got 14 books in this series. We'll see when I get to the next one. 
If you could go back to one game out of your entire career, what would it be? Um, that's a real tough one. I, I got to like give you like a top three. Like, By I, all I, means, go for it. I brought up the uh, the final when George Elliott when I was in high school. Yeah, like so. So that team, you know, I you know, no offense to George Elliott, but I feel like if we played a seven game series, we're coming out on on top in in that one. Okay, but they were they performed on the day and they got it. But I I'd like to have another shot at that one. Heinrichson um, probably says the same thing about Terry Fox carry high ninety four. So whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you got to be there salty. on the day, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another game that really comes to mind is uh, playing on the on the university in the university games, a student team uh, in '93, and this was when Steve Nash was also playing on on that team. We played the states in the final of the university games, and we were up. I don't know what it was, eleven or fourteen at half. Like we oh. were, we were, we were doing it. And um, and yeah, it just it just kind of slipped away from us in the in the second half. But I felt like that was a game we had a chance at winning, and that and that would have been one that you could really hang on your wall and be like, mm-hmm. Canada yeah. doesn't beat the states too much at, at basketball. That would have been a good one. And then like an, another game that I had to, if I had a chance to play over again, would have mm-hmm. maybe been that one that uh, like I said, I sprained my ankle going into the NCAA tournament in grade eleven. I'm sorry, not grade eleven. In my junior year, junior, yeah, I, w- I would like to have had a chance to play that one healthy. Who knows how much of a difference it would make? I was, I think, the center for Mississippi State that year was Eric Dampier. He was a, yeah, bit he was of a decent. Yeah, he was decent. <laughs> but I would have liked to have been healthy. Fair enough. You go to the Seven uh, Eleven on the way home from practice. What's the bag of chips you're picking up? Yeah, I was prepared for this one because nice. uh, I heard the other. Uh, but for me, it was easy. Anyway, I'm going um, the Mrs. Vicky's jalapeno chips, kettle cooked yep. jalapeno chips. Like a little Although bit of spice, say, eh? Yeah, I like mm-hmm. the spice. However, in saying that, I may have... It's already second-guessing it. I love it. Well, I love it. I, yep. I am because like they, they started selling that at Costco, and so I bought like a Costco bag of it, and <laughs> now it may be dead to me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause That's fair. It, you find a chip you like, and it's like if the bag's open, you just keep munching away at it. But yes. like a Costco-sized bag, like that that's too much. <laughs> well, there's lots of options out there if you want to change it up, but stick to the Vickies for now and see where your heart takes you, you know? Yeah. Right on. Two more questions. You mentioned a bunch of players in this podcast, an episode about, you know, that stood out to you. But is there anyone that, that you missed that you're like – that was a solid player that I had to go up against, or have you think you've named them all? No, no, I've, <laughs> I've gone up against a lot of guys. Like, there's a few times in my career that I've been like, oh, I'm outmatched here. It wasn't in the 93 university games, but I think it was 90, 95 games mm-hmm. played against Tim Duncan. He was, he was pretty tough. <laughs> I do have one claim to fame. Like, he tried to hammer Dunk on me. I tried to take the charge, and very luckily... He, it rimmed out because I don't know if I would have recovered if he'd actually managed to <laughs> dunk. My last game in for Santa Clara when I was in grade 12, we lost to Kansas. And uh, I was 
like you know this is the the final game of the year you're as in shape as you're going to be although like for some people that's a bit different than others i feel like fitness was never one of my strengths but you know i, I was as as fit as i was going to get and playing in this this final game just chasing after scott pollard and rafe lafrance at kansas oh. and those guys oh. were you know not only fit they were big and strong and skilled and i was just like i remember coming off for a timeout after i don't know what we were down the, the cameras probably already turned away at this point but my <laughs> quads were burning and i was just like what the hell is going on like i just i couldn't even keep up with these guys and then and then one other moment i remember being feeling outmatched was uh playing in the the fila summer pro league with the national um there were some some guys from the nba that were were playing and we were playing one of their one of their summer teams so i got the ball in the post you know made my post moves felt like i was getting really good position like strangely so like somebody wasn't really getting in my way too much and <laughs> I, I was matched up with uh with Bo outlaw which is like you know he wasn't a superstar but he was a great athlete and as it turns out a good defender anyway i made my post move went to the middle do this little jump hook and i'm like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna score on this nba guy and just like the casual contempt that he just jumped and blocked it in the at the height of its you know the the arc of my my jump hook and just sent it out i was like oh okay yeah this is this is once again one of those different animals that we've uh <laughs> i've come across so do you figure he was just standing behind you waiting for you to just turn and throw it up and he was just going to beat it? Like, is that why you didn't feel any pressure behind you? You're like, who's who's behind me? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. exactly that. He was like, yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to shoot over me. <laughs> he had long arms, though. Holy smokes. And he could jump. Yeah, yeah. he really could. Yeah. This has been awesome. Thanks for being with us. Um, but we always like to ask final question is, uh, if you could do it all again, you would what? think about all those things you've been through the crazy career what what do you think yeah that is a tough one mm -hmm. you know because i'm pretty happy where i'm at like i, I feel like i've had i've had and continue to have a good life like would any of if i got to change anything would i ended up being with my wife and having the, the kids that i have or, mm -hmm. or uh, you know the friends that i have so i wouldn't want to jinx any of that however i do feel like you know there are things that i've learned along the way that i think would have made me more successful like i i got to go a lot of places and do a lot of things with with basketball but uh i also feel like at the end of the day i i didn't squeeze every last little bit of potential i had for the sport uh i mentioned briefly that i i you know fitness was never a strength i think there were sort of approaches i took to the game you know obviously i didn't have the the work ethic that steve did but i was committed to the game and I, and i put a lot of time and effort and, and and love into it but i think the biggest difference or the biggest uh, advice I, I would give myself if i could go back to 20 year old me or something would be to to have the courage to work on your weaknesses and not just play to your strengths you know like uh i detested trying to work on my endurance with a passion you know like i try and play into shape but i i jog more now than i did <laughs> then which is not much um and and you know like i ended up having knee problems because uh you know it, it, my knees just couldn't take the 
the impact. But part of that was because, you know, I, I didn't work on strengthening my legs, you know, because like once, once I started getting pain in my legs, I, I kind of avoided working them out. You know, when I'd go to the gym, I'd, I'd work out a lot of, more of my upper body than I would my legs. And so uh, those kind of things just, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. So uh, that, that would maybe be the only thing is, is, is try to try to improve your weaknesses just as much as you try to play to your strengths would be the thing that I would tell myself. That's cool. Good reflection. I think that's the fun part about this podcast is, you know, maybe some young person will be out there listening and they can take that. You have the opportunity with your kids to, whether they want to hear it or not, or if you, you know, you continue to get into some coaching and, and pass those life lessons on. And, and it, and that's what we try to do is just mold younger minds and let people know these are the things we've learned along the way. And then that's all we can do. No need, no need in uh, kind of beating ourselves up, but just good reflection. It's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on. Uh, before we let you go, any last reflections? Is there a, a name you forgot to shout out or uh, have you had enough with us? It's bedtime. <laughs> oh no! This is this has been a lot of fun. I don't I don't usually talk too much. I think my throat's going to be sore by the end of this. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, like I think probably the the biggest reward I got from basketball is sort of the camaraderie um, with teammates and and the relationships that I've built. Like uh, I'm still friends with a lot of guys through basketball. You know, I've, I've mentioned a few of their names, but like uh, you know, I'm, I'm still close with. Eric and his brother Chris Heinrichsen. My uh, my wife Kim and I were very close with Greg and Amy Meldrum. Yeah, as I said, Phil Ole has 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 taught me a lot. So it's it's getting getting to to know these people and uh, and being on a team with people. You you really get to to know them in a way they that that. that that's more than superficial you know you, you you get to kind of see people at their best and worst and uh you know go through a lot of ups and downs and and uh yeah i i just really have enjoyed uh all the people that i've met along the way right on it really is about relationships in the end and i love that last reflection there um great episode again continued happiness to your family december 16th to the 18th i think we're over there accent ins i'll be going to the bin for burger lounge with hides so come and join us um oh, nice. yeah it'd be great to meet you in person and uh and we wish you nothing but the best and um on behalf of hoops journey thanks so much Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. You're welcome. What a great episode. Run it back a couple times. Mr. Brendan Graves, thanks to our sponsors, Parkside Brewery and Good Lad Clothing. And we will see you on the next episode.